Maureen told me that this, since this is my last message as the interim pastor, she said, I'm not going to cry. I can't make that promise, but uh, we'll see. So I was thinking a lot about this. As a matter of fact, um, I began thinking about this particular message well over a month ago. I told Allison, I said, I think I know what God wants me to speak on for that my last, whenever it is, my last message. And uh, I'm already starting to think about that. I'm starting to plan that. And then this last week, Thursday, I had gotten a text from a dear friend of mine who was my mentor who trained me to be a pastor and for the last 20 plus years has always been there for me. And he said, hey, uh, let's talk. And uh, so I texted him back and said, let's get together. So I drove up to Bellingham to meet with him and, and uh, him and his wife, and we we're sitting there talking, and I said, hey, Sunday is my last Sunday as the interim pastor. And Kim, he's the kind of guy who he just gets, when he gets excited, he starts talking really fast, you know, unlike myself, of course, who talks very slowly. But, um, and he said, oh, man, oh, man, he said, oh, I've got the message for you. He said, it's a message I've always wanted to teach. He said, it's four points. Now, Cliff, he said, I know you like to do the one point and have Scripture come underneath it. I know you like to do the thing like everything I am and have is God's to use and then have all the scripture come underneath it and then hope that people are going to really remember, you know, everything I am and have is God's to use. And usually people do remember that and I think it's a great way to do it. And I know I'm telling you this has got four points, but these four points are so good. I'm telling you, it preaches, man. You ought to think about it. And I thought, the first thing I thought is, wait a minute, man. I've had my message for over, well over a month now. I felt like I knew what it was supposed to be. And now it's Thursday And you're telling me, but I just said, he's been good. He's been good. So I said, okay, give it to me. And I opened up my notebook, had my notebook with me. He says, you won't even have to take notes. I'm telling you, it's so good. The people will remember all four points, just like they remember one of yours. And I said, okay, okay, give it to me. He says, here's what the four points are. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away you got to know when to run and then he just started laughing like crazy he said I've always wanted to be able to do that I've always wanted to preach on that well I'm not going to okay (laughs) I get to go back to what I felt like God was giving me so here's the question though that I want to start with I want you to think about this put your mind here what is it that comprises you that everything everything about yourself what you do who you are, what you have, everything, the things that are important to you, the things that you're passionate about, I want you to think about all of those things, all of those things. Just take a second, think about, man, what are the things I love? What are the things that are important to me? What what do I do? Who am I really? It's those things that you have in your hands, those things that you have that are available to you. Now, the question is this, Are you willing to say everything I am and everything I have is yours, God, to use? Everything I am and everything I have is is God's to use. I have been praying that God would show many of you. I believe there are some of you that God has given some gifts to you aren't even aware of. And he wants to make you more aware of them. I do know this absolutely certainly that when we say, God, everything I am and everything I have is yours to use, he wants to be able to use those things for your good and my good and for his glory. And I know this also, he even loves to do it miraculously. He loves to pull these miracles out at times that we can see him actually doing it and engineering it and can get excited about it. 
And as I was thinking about that, I thought, okay, how do I really, how, what, what example do I give of this? And I thought of, of Moses. So we're going to take a look at Moses right now from the Old Testament. Moses is a guy who was born as a slave, born into slavery. His family were slaves. His grandfather was a slave. He was a slave not because of his skin color, but because of his heritage. At that time, all Hebrews were slaves, and they were slaves to perhaps the most powerful country on the earth at that time, which was the Egyptians. So all these Hebrews were slaves to the Egyptians, and that was Moses as he was born. But he was unique in this. He was born at a time when the Pharaoh, who was the ruler, the king of Egypt at that time, when he had just issued an edict saying, no male Hebrew boy shall survive. You can have Hebrew baby girls, but you cannot have Hebrew baby boys. He was afraid that the Hebrews might end up revolting against Egypt in the future. So that's the deal. So if you have a baby boy, it must be killed. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 2. And so when Moses' mother hid him, she could not bear the thought of killing him, and so she hid him. Can you imagine the anxiety, the fear, the consternation as every day went by and she was hoping like crazy somebody wouldn't report her, hoping like mad somebody wouldn't find out that she's harboring and hiding this little boy that she's afraid otherwise will be killed? And I stopped and think about that and I thought, man, this was a terribly unfair time in life. And, and it wasn't right that that should be happening to her. It wasn't fair in any way, shape, or form. And then it dawns on me that when life isn't fair, it does not mean God isn't at work. Hmm. Some of you right now are going through something that is very unfair, or you have and it still haunts you. You've been treated wrong, and I mean truly wrong, truly unfairly. Somebody has hurt you, somebody has stolen from you, somebody has abandoned you, somebody has mistreated you. It has been unfair, no question about it. I think God wants you to know, no, no, I take that back. I know, I know God wants you to know that when life isn't fair, it doesn't mean he's not at work. We've got to wait, we've got to watch, we've got to pray. Oh, I think she would have liked to have known what we have today. We have the privilege today of looking back on everything that happened, and now we can say that to that little, that young mom of Moses. Hey, listen, we can promise you that when life isn't fair, it doesn't mean God's not at work. He's at work in your situation, even now with your little boy Moses. She didn't know that at the very moment. She had to trust that. It's now no longer safe for her, and she knows it isn't safe, and so she comes up with a plan. How in the world she got this plan, I do not know. It's the most cockamamie plan you can possibly think of. She's got to do something with her child. And so she, she takes a basket, and she, she covers it with pitch on the outside to make it waterproof, makes it into a little ark, and she puts her baby boy inside of that little ark that she's made, and then she takes that little ark along with her daughter down to the Nile River, and she puts it in the river, in an eddy in the river where it just can kind of sit in there among the weeds. And then, as God would have it, Pharaoh's daughter, the ruler, the king, his daughter comes down to the Nile to bathe. And she spots this basket in the, among the reeds. And she says, hey, get that basket over there. They get the basket. They bring it over to her. They open it up, and the little boy starts crying. She knows immediately, this is a Hebrew baby boy. Somebody's trying to save its life. And she decides, I'm going to keep this baby. I'm going to make it mine. I got a feeling she knew that dad, the Pharaoh, would go along with her desire to do that. 
And so she takes that baby, and then guess what happens? That baby boy's little sister, she's the only one watching. Mom has gone home. I think mom couldn't stand the thought of watching what was going to happen to her. She left her daughter to say, you watch what happens and tell me about it. I think she went home to grieve. And, and, and here, here's, here's Pharaoh's daughter with this, and, and his sister comes up and says, hey, hey, um, you're going to keep the baby? Uh-huh, I sure am. Would you like me to find a Hebrew woman who could nurse that child until it's ready to be weaned? Well, yes, I would. I think I know someone. She says, as a matter of fact, I'll pay whoever it is to take care of him until he's weaned and ready to come into my care. And so she does that. She heads off and uh, tells her mom, and her mom gets to have her be reunited with her baby boy, at least for a while. But she knows that the time is coming, the day is coming when she's going to have to let him go. I wonder how much she prayed over that little guy. I wonder how much she just really thought about, God, I know you've got something for him. I don't know what it is, but man, is it going to break my heart to have to give him up. I'm asking for you to protect him. I'm asking for you to guide him. I'm asking for you to direct him. God is yours. He's yours. I'm putting him into your hands. And so he put him, she put that little boy into Pharaoh's daughter's hands when he was weaned. And he grew up in the palace. Pharaoh's adopted grandson what a deal. Had the best teachers possible, got educated at the highest level possible, learned about palace operations, learned about government operations, learned about how to run a country, learned about how to deal with a military, learned everything as he grew up in that environment. But he grew up with a foot in two different worlds. You can understand that. Because he knew he was Hebrew and, and he learned all about the Egyptian gods. He even learned about the Hebrew god. But he knew, here I am, I'm in the palace, I'm an Egyptian prince, but I'm not really an Egyptian, I'm a Hebrew, and everybody knows that I'm a Hebrew slave that's been saved to become adopted as an he- Egyptian prince, and, and, and so he wasn't really accepted by the Egyptians, and he wasn't really accepted by the Hebrews, because they didn't see him as just a Hebrew slave, they saw him as a, but this guy, he got adopted, he's really an Egyptian prince, he's not really one of us, and so he's caught between these two worlds, and the tension continues to, to just build in him and build in him as he watches things take place around him for 40 years, that tension builds, and at 40 years, an event happens that just makes it explode and go over the top. He's walking around and he sees a Hebrew slave being abused by an Egyptian taskmaster, whipped by him. And he decides to intervene on behalf of the slave. And as he intervenes, he ends up killing the Egyptian taskmaster. Pharaoh finds out about it and says, "Uh, Moses is going to have to die for that. So Moses escapes into the desert to save his life. And he goes off into the desert and there he ends up becoming a shepherd. A shepherd. Right now, he's got to be thinking, where is God in all of this? Can I tell you something that we get the privilege of seeing? God is working in our circumstances even when we can't see it. Ah, his mother couldn't see it. He can't see it now. He said, I thought I knew what God wanted me to do. 
I really did. I, I stepped out to get it done. I thought I might be the liberator. I might be the one that God's called to be able to somehow engineer this. He's put me in this unique place where I have favor with the Egyptians and where I'm still a Hebrew. Maybe it's my role to do that. And he steps out and begins to try and do it. And it's like he gets slapped silly. And he goes tumbling over and winds up out in the desert being a shepherd. So from an Egyptian prince to a Hebrew shepherd in the desert for the next 40 years. I wonder how often he wondered, did I screw this whole thing up? Where is God in this? What's going on in my life now? I'm just taking care of sheep in the desert. I was thinking about him wondering about those things. And it dawned on me that somehow we know this. We don't know how close he was with God before, before all of the other things began to happen, but we do know this. He was open to God, which made me think, you know, when, when wondering where God is, we need to make sure we don't wander away from him. If you can't see God in your circumstances right now and you are wondering, where are you, God, in this? I can't believe this is actually happening to me. I can't believe you allowed this circumstance to come into my life. Then I want to encourage you with something. I want to encourage you that when you are wondering where God is, don't wander away from Him. Go toward Him. Go toward Him. That's where he wants you to be. That's where he can begin to speak to you. That's where he can begin to enlighten you as far as what he is doing. So Moses is tending sheep in the desert, and he's walking through the desert, and he notices this bush that's burning up, or actually it's not burning up, but it should be because it's on fire. And so he looks at it, he looks at it again, he looks at it again, and he goes, that is the craziest thing. That's, my, that's in the Greek. You have to understand the Greek of that. And then he begins to walk toward that thing to take a closer look at it. I'm really wondering, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, he hears a voice coming out of the burning bush. And the voice says, Moses, Moses, here I am. Here I am. I'm talking to a burning bush. This is weird. This is weird. And then the voice says, do not come near. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. And it goes on to say, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses did what all servants were taught to do at that time. You didn't make eye contact, not with one who is much higher than you. So he hid his face. He's going, God, I've got... And then God begins to speak to him from that bush. And says, I want you to know something. I haven't missed anything. I see what's going on. I see how much the Hebrews are being persecuted right now and how much they're being, they're being uh, put in a wrong position. The bondage that they're in, their voices are coming up to me. And I'm going to tell you something, Moses. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to take the people of Israel out of bondage and I'm going to set them free and make them a new nation. And by the way, I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses goes, <laughs> what are you thinking? I mean, 40 years ago, I was ready. 40 years ago, I thought it was me. Now, I'm not so sure. I think you got the wrong guy. I don't want to be the lead dog anymore. I don't want to be the head Fred. I don't need all the accolades anymore. I'm okay tending sheep in the desert. I'm good. And God says, well, actually, you're not. I want to use you. 
I, and, and I stop and I look at that and I think, man, Moses was ready here. Now it comes time to actually move in it and he's not so sure anymore. And God's saying this to you and me. He wants us to get this, friends. God's timing is not necessarily our timing. Hmm? Oh, I'm telling you, in my life, I have found out that my timing is rarely God's timing. His timing is different, and he's saying, you've got to trust me with my timing. You've got to trust me with that. I'll move in my timing when I'm ready to move in my timing. So Moses actually gets to the point where, again, he's saying, no, God, no, not me. And then he thinks, I've got the convincing argument. And here's what he says. But even if I tell them that you appeared to me and who you are, they won't believe me. He said, God, don't you remember? I was the Egyptian that was Hebrew and I wasn't accepted by those guys. I was, the, I was the Hebrew who was an Egyptian and the Hebrews didn't accept me because I was an Egyptian. And neither one of them believed me. Neither one of them are giving me any support. I'm not the guy for that. They aren't even going to believe me if I come and do that, Lord. Can't you see that? And God flips the script and he asks him a question. Oh... I love how the Holy Spirit asks us questions when we open our hearts and minds to Him. I promise you, when you ask Jesus about stuff going on in you, lots of times He's going to come and ask you a question. And He asks Moses a question. He says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. King James Version says a rod. Hmm. Why was Moses carrying a staff? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. I, I got an example here for you. I got my own, my own staff. Look at this. I feel like I'm Allison teaching. Man, I've got a, I've got a prop. I love this. So, he's got a, so why did the shepherd have a staff? To direct the sheep, to protect the sheep. He was going to protect him. He could direct him. Some of them would have the crook on it, you know. Some of them would be different kinds. But the staff, also, if he went to town without his sheep, he would often go with his staff. What did it tell people? What he did. He told them what he did. So here's, I was thinking about this, and Lord, what do you want us to learn from this? And he said, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Hmm. That's kind of what we started with. What's your vocation? What do you do? Who are you? What's important to you? What are you passionate about? What are your talents and your treasures and your time and your abilities? And God's saying, what's in your hand? Can, can, can you really say everything that I am and have is God's to use? He's saying, that's the place I want you to be. Moses, what's in your hand? What represents you, who you are, what you do? I want you to give it to me. I want you to give me what's in your hand. See, first Moses had to choose to give it to God in order for God to use it. And God wanted Moses to understand that. And so he says, okay, Moses, I want you to throw that staff of yours on the ground. I want you to be willing to lay it down. So Moses takes it and he throws it on the ground. And then he gets away from it because it turns into a serpent. It's a snake. And he's going to stay away from it. And he's going, man, that's a scary thing. I threw a staff on the ground and it became a snake. I prayed this morning that God would not do that here because I did not want to get involved in that. I said, Lord, don't do that right now. But that's what he says. So now the staff was in the ground and he, he's running away from it and it dawns on me that, you know what? Oh my gosh, friends, listen. It can be scary to commit what we have to God's use. 
it can really be scary to commit what we have to God's use. Things happen that we don't expect to happen. And we're not even sure how to respond to it. And that serpent, is, it says serpent, serpent is, indica- and is indication, it's a poisonous snake. It's not just a snake, it's a poisonous snake. And then God says, reach out your hand and grab it by the tail. Say, <laughs> what? What? Yeah, reach out your hand and grab it by the tail. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever seen any of these uh, snake handlers? Not too many of them. Have you ever watched them? I, I've never watched one personally, but I've watched them on TV. They don't grab the thing by the tail and go, whoa, look at this. How come? It can bite you. It can bite you. But God's telling Moses, reach out and grab it by the tail. And I stop and I think, whoa, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, here's how. You trust. You trust God. And then you obey. You trust and then you obey. And so Moses reaches out and he grabs it by the tail and it becomes a staff again. Man, he was thrilled about that. Glad to have the staff back, Lord. Really glad to have the staff back. Now, I know how scary it can be to lay some things down. Hmm? Because you know what? Moses didn't know how it was going to go. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how it's going to go when I leave here. And I'm praying and saying, God, God, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about this. I'm not sure how this is all going to go. It's scary for me to make that kind of commitment. And God says, would you just be trust and then obey, lay it down, and then take the next steps that I'm going to ask of you. And so he picks the staff up. And then in Exodus 4.17, we read God saying this to him, but take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Oh, that's fascinating. God wants to take what's in your hand. And when you say, God, here's what's in my hands, everything I am and have, I'm going to give to you, God. Then he says, thank you very much. Now I'm going to take that and I'm going to use it for your good and my glory. And I'm even going to do miraculous things through it if you will let me. If you'll be obedient to me and let me. And so God said, watch how I use this staff. And boy, did he ever. It was this staff that he took and just touched the water in the Nile River and it turned to blood. It was this staff that he took and, and, and held out over the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted and they walked across on dry ground. It was the staff that he took and he hit a big rock with it and water came gushing out of that water, that rock enough for the entire group of the Israelites to have something to drink. It was that staff that he took and held up to the sky when the Amalekites attacked them and as long as he held it up, God gave them victory over the Amalekites because of what he did with what had been in Moses' hands. What's in your hands that you can say, God, everything I am and everything I have, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to be obedient to you with it. We've got to offer it to him, friends. And then he says, I'll use it It'll be for your good and my glory. Oh, by the way, it probably won't be in the way you think. (laughs) Oh, I'm laughing because that is so true. 
It's rarely in the way we think, friends, because his mind is so much bigger than ours, so much different than ours. He says, I, I, I'll use it, though. I'll use it. Just, just put it in my hands. Give it to me. Let me take it. Now, I want you to watch what happens. This is really important. Watch what happens in, in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 20. Here's what it says. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. I want you to read that last sentence with me. Again, please. Ready, go. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Wait a minute. Hold it. Whose staff? Oh, my goodness. Something incredibly important just happened here. It went from being Moses' staff to this staff to God's staff. There was a transfer of ownership that took place. When Moses said, everything I am and have is yours, God, to use, there was a transfer of ownership. All of a sudden, that wasn't Moses' stuff anymore. Moses went from being an owner of the staff to being the manager, or the Bible would call it a steward, someone in charge of, of something that is somebody else's. So now he can be obedient to God with how to use what was in his hands. Oh, that's good. That's so good. Do you see that? God wants you and I to come to him with what we have and say, God, it's now yours. It's not mine anymore. It's now yours to use like you want to use. And I'll tell you what, I just want to trust and obey you in the process. You tell me what to do with what you put in my hands that is now yours. It's no longer mine. Everything, everything that's in our hands needs to become God's. Now, we know for a historical fact that God used that staff, you know, in the ten plagues and all of that, to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, to, to have them go from being in bondage as slaves to being a free nation. And it culminated in this amazing thing. Well, first, the ten plagues were unbelievably and incredible. You have to read all about them. And then they finally get to, to, get to where they're gone out of Egypt, and Egypt's coming after them, and they're going to bring them back and make them become slaves again. And that's when the whole Red Sea happens. You'll have to read about that too. I told you he raised his hand. The staff over the sea, the sea parts, they go across on dry ground. The Egyptians start to go through, and they get wiped out. They're now on the other side. They're in the desert as free people. I'm free, I'm free indeed. And they are dancing and they are singing and they are so happy that they're a free people. Man, it's a good day. It's a great day. And then trouble comes. Hmm. What are you trying to tell us there, Lord? Oh, Jesus said it this way. In this world, you will have trouble. Ah, but take heart. I have, come, I have overcome the world. So they are in the desert, and all of a sudden, trouble comes. Here's something I need to tell you. When you love Jesus, trouble will stop coming as soon as you stop living. Trouble will stop coming as soon as you stop living. And I don't know about you, but I want to live till I die. Hmm? I mean, I really want to live till I die. I, I, wow. So the trouble comes, and it comes in the form of the Amalekites. 
another group of people. Guess what they wanted to do? They wanted to whip the Israelites in battle and grab them as slaves, put them back into slavery again. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's a picture. It's a picture of what happens when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and God comes into your life and says, I've paid for all of your sins. You don't have any sins anymore. I've paid for them past, present, and future. You are free and free and free indeed as long as you're living for me. As long as you're my child, you get the freedom. I love you, I love you, I love you. And we're dancing saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free at last. And all of a sudden we get attacked by our enemy. Our enemy, Satan, the devil who doesn't want you to be free, he wants to take you into bondage again. And we got to deal with the fight. So here come the Amalekites, and they're concerned, they're worried. And God tells Moses, take my staff, the staff of God, in your hand. Go to the top of that hill over there. And when you're at the top of that hill, you'll be able to look down into the valley and watch the fight. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the staff, make sure I don't break any bulbs here, and I want you to hold it up. So Moses gets to the top of the hill. The battle starts. He's holding the staff up, and he's looking down the valley. He's going, oh, we're kicking butt. This is good to see. The Amalekites are starting to run. Yeah, the Israelites are winning, and he's got that up there, man. The battle goes on. And man, after a while, I don't know about you, but have you ever held your hands up for a long period of time? Man, when I was playing college basketball, I remember a coach saying, for the next half an hour, we're going to have you with just your hands up. Do you know how heavy your hands get? And after a while, his hands are getting heavy. And he's going, I just got to take a break. Holy cow, I just got to take a break here. And he looks up and he goes, uh-oh, uh-oh, now our guys are running. They're starting to kill our guys. Oh, I got to get it back up again. I got to get it back up again. Oh, that's an interesting picture. God, I'm offering it to you. I'm offering everything I am and have to you, Lord. Here it is. And then we start to get tired. We start to get weary. And it starts to come down. And it starts to come down. And then when it comes down, we got it all. We start thinking about ourselves, about how tired we are, about how difficult it is. And we're thinking all about ourselves. And all of a sudden, we start losing the battle. And we got to give it back up again. We got to give it back up again. Get it up there. Keep. You know what we have to do? We have to keep on keeping on. We must keep on giving up to God all that's in our hands. Sometimes we have to do it again and again and again. Sometimes we have to do it again and again on the same day. As I, as I find myself starting to take those things back to myself or I start worrying about how or what they might mean to me and, and did I really mean to give them all up or maybe I'm not even thinking about that but I'm starting to worry about it like it's mine now and not his anymore and then I've got to get it back up and say, God, I'm sorry, I've, I've got to give it back to you again. And Moses realized something. He realized, I cannot do this on my own. I have got to have help. And so Moses called out for his brother, Dino, and he said, hey, Dino, come on up here a second. I, I mean, he actually said uh, Aaron was his brother. Dino, come on up here a second, because he, he needed help. Come on up, Dino, please come on up, brother. Come on up. And then Moses sat down, and he said, he said I need my brother. I need my brother. Hold, hold this arm up here, brother, just my arm, my arm. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Oh, thank you, bro. Thank you. Bro. And then he said, and I need my friend, my friend her. That's not girlfriend her. It's her, H-U-R, okay? And he said, I need my 
friend, her, I'm mean, Jose. I need my friend Jose. Jose, come up here. Would you please come on? Come on, Jose. These guys didn't know I was going to call on them. See, hold my, hold my hand up, man. That hand, oh, thank you, Jose. Thank you, bro. Oh, and so they hit his hands. And they're helping hold his hands. And, and as long as he had, the, he had this up, oh, yeah, that's better, man. That is better. And the victory is happening. The victory is happening. They did it all the way till sunset. And then the Israelites won this amazing victory. Makes me ask a question. Who do you have in your life who can hold your hands up? Because you cannot do it alone. And if you don't have someone to hold your hands up, pray. Pray, say, God, send me somebody. I need somebody who's willing to hold my hands up. God, I need somebody willing to do it. Now, I knew, I just knew that these two guys would be willing to come up and do this. I just knew it. Uh, the, the guy I was talking about to start with, hang in there, guys. We're doing good. You're doing good, Dino. Thanks, man. Uh, and and, and the, the guy I talked to at the very beginning of the service, Kim, he's been there for me. I hadn't talked to Kim in over a month, but I knew, I knew when I called him and checked in and said, I, I, I need your help. He'd say, I'm there, brother. I'm there. To, let, me, let me know I can hold your hands up. Let me know I can help. Here's a second question for you. Whose hands are you holding up? Hmm. This last week, I had someone call me who goes to the, who comes here on occasion. And uh, I haven't seen him for a while. He called me this last week and he said, Cliff, I'm getting ready to go into a really important meeting. Would you, and I'm really nervous about it. Would you pray for me during the meeting? I said, man, I'd be thrilled to. No, that I'll pray for you right now too. So I had the privilege of praying for him. I just thought, I get to hold up his hands. How awesome is that? This last week I had a guy come, I talked to me and he said, he said, hey, I've got a book I think you ought to read. You know what? It wasn't one of these things, don't do this one. This is a book that you ought to read because you're an idiot and you've got to figure this stuff out. That, that wasn't the case here. It was, I think, I think this might really encourage you. And you know what it was doing? It was holding up my hands. It was holding up my hands. Man, that's so awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, give him a hand. Give him a hand. Yeah, yeah. After uh, those guys did that, and they won that great victory, then Moses built an altar to God, and he called the altar, uh, the Lord is my banner. The whole idea of it was this, was to say, when we go into battle, God's ba banner is what's above us. Do you know what Moses was saying when he was holding this thing up like that, and when those guys did that for me, is, is we are dependent on the God of heaven. That's who we're asking to intervene for us. That's who we're asking to make a difference for us. That's who we are, we are intersecting with, and that's who we trust to give us the victory. And God wants us to be able to have Him be the banner over our families, over our possessions, over our workplace. He wants people to know that when things happen in our life that are obviously His hand moving, He gets the credit for it, right? He says, it's for your good and my glory, so give me that, would you? He's saying, give me that. Would you, would you show that when, when I give victories, would you say, oh, this is where it comes from. This is how good that is. Everything I am, am, and have is God's to use. Now, I started this out by talking about this uh, last stuff, and I said, you know what? Uh, I, as I was praying for you all, and I mean, I was praying for you all. I got to tell you, I prayed 
passionately for everybody who would hear this, everybody who's online listening to this. I said, I said, Lord, I just want them to get it and not forget it. I just want them to have their minds open to receiving from you. God, would you please let it take place? God, would you, would you use my mouth in a way that's so much different and better than Cliff can talk? And would you just talk through me? And would you do all these things? And I'm praying passionately about that. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't help but thinking about the fact that, that, uh, that shortly my season here is done and I'm moving into a new season, a new area. I began to pray for myself. Sorry about that, but I sure did. And then I started praying passionately for myself. But God, I, I, I'm not, I'm a little concerned about this. I, I don't know what you're going to do. I can't see it out in front of me. I need some help from you. Lord Jesus, would you show me something, give me something to be able to go on? And the Holy Spirit said to me, what's in your hand? Uh, no, you don't. Are you kidding me? This message is for me? I just wanted to give it to all of them. Yeah, it's for you. It's for you too. What's in your hand? And then he began to show me. You see, I've actually prepared you for this just like I prepared Moses. Look at your life's experiences. You've started businesses. You've started churches. You've trained pastors. You've trained chaplains. And now I'm calling you to go to the elderly and train up care chaplains. Care chaplains who will go in and meet with them individually with our elderly in communities and treat them with respect and dignity and let them understand they still have a reason for living, that God cares about them where they're at, that he's got a purpose for them. But God, I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know how it's going to work. I know. You need to trust me. You need to be obey. And then I said, because I'm like this, I keep trying to figure out ways around it. I said, well, Lord, I need a sign. You gave Moses a sign, and I don't want no serpent. I don't want no serpent. <laughs> but I need a sign. Could you give me a sign that you're going to care for me, that you're thinking about my family and, and, and how we'll be cared for in this process? Because, because I can't see how that can work. And the very next week, I was meeting with somebody who said, she said, I think I might want to be one of those care chaplains. Can I do that too? Well, absolutely, you'll be able to do that. Yes, that's so terrific. And we want to support you in this process. And I said, well, that's nice because somehow that's got to happen. Okay, we want to support you. And they wrote a check out for $10,000. I, I didn't even ask. Wow, Lord, wow. And then two days after that, I got a call from the elders here at Arbor. And, he, and they said, look, Cliff, we know that... Um, you're, you've got this new adventure in front of you. And we want to be part of it. Yeah. So we're going to make sure you got, we're gonna, the, 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 the word they use was soft landing. We're going to make sure you have a soft landing. So we want to help you with your first 90 days and getting started with that. Never asked. Lord, what an answer to prayer. I'd hit a number in my mind and God hit within dollars of that number. Amen. Yeah, yeah, so good. So I'm going to ask if you'll be willing to do something with me. I think there are times we have to continue to state and restate, right? That this commitment that we're making to God. So um, I'm wondering if you'll join me in that in saying everything I am and have is God's to use. So as we, as we move into the worship, 
Um, uh, worship team, you can come on up here. I'm going to ask you to stand right now a moment. And uh, here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, Now, I'm going to ask you to make this commitment with me, and I'm going to make this commitment again, and, and we're going to uh, ask God to do that, but, but uh, we'll, we'll ask Him that everything I am and have is God's to use, and we're going to state that. But here's the deal. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands as a demonstration that you're willing to do that, that what's in your hands you're willing to give to Him, okay? Now, before you do it, I want you to think about it. The Bible is filled with promises that God makes to us. And God follows through on every one of His promises. He's made us in His image, and He loves it when we make Him promises. But He says, count the cost. I don't want you to make promises you're not going to follow through with. Make promises you'll follow through with. So I want you to think about that. There's no embarrassment if you don't. Uh, raise your hands. But if you're willing to make that commitment anyway, uh, thank you, Alex. Then I want you to raise your hands right now and pray. Lord Jesus, you see the hands that are up, and we're saying all that I am and all that I have is yours, O Holy One, to use. We're not owners of it anymore. We're giving it to you, and we're saying, would you move in it? Would you direct it? Would you use it for our good and your glory? And God, would you please, in the name of Jesus, would you take this and do miraculous things with it? Let us see them. Let us see them in ways that we otherwise might miss. Lord, bless my friends, best bless my family here as we step into that with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, before we uh, sing a song and, and, and start with worshiping, I want you to notice something. When you held your hands up to give that to God, your hands are also in position to receive. Isn't that a cool thing? So we lift up to God and we say, here's everything in my hands. And God says, thank you. And he takes that out of our hands. And then he says, ah, but I'm not done yet. Let me put a blessing back in them. So if you would like to receive his blessing, hold your hands out like this or hold them up like this, whatever you want to do. And we're going to ask him to fill them up with his blessings. May the Lord, Yahweh, Abba, Daddy, Papa, bless you and keep you. May the Lord Jesus, Yeshua, Mashiach, make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Holy Spirit of God, Rauh HaKodesh, turn His face towards you to comfort you, counsel you, and fill you with His presence and peace so that God Almighty can take what's in your hands and use it for your good and His glory in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.